Hello and welcome to the Interfish Podcast, where we discuss the most interesting and compelling seafood news of the day. I'm Drew Cherry, Editorial Director, and I am joined today by Elizabeth Fisher, Editor, based in Berlin, and John Fiorillo, Executive Editor, uh, here in Seattle. Hello, Lisi and John. All right, today is our land-based extravaganza. So we've got uh, Lisi to talk about a new report that she just put out on land-based salmon farming. Uh, and we've got John uh, here to talk about um, his insights on it. He's uh, attended a conference um, not too long ago uh, on it, and then he's he's been at our investor forums where the topic just keeps popping up and popping up. So, Lisi, let's start with you and just tell us a bit about the report. You put a lot of work into it uh, and, um, and, and have become somewhat of an expert over that, that time. So what do we need to know about the status of land-based salmon and, and where it might be headed? Because it's seeming like it's more and more of a, of a commercial reality. Um, all right. Yeah. Um, yeah. As you said, I mean, I've I've put some work into into researching um, that uh, report on last land-based salmon farming, and um, yeah, what well, we've seen a lot of people or in the industry, you know, trying um, trying their hands on land-based salmon farming. Now it actually seems that um, the technology and the projects that are out there are commercially viable. Um, so there's been a huge development in recirculation agriculture system in recent years and, um, you know, costs have come down and coupled with increasing costs um, of traditional um, salmon farming um, at sea. It just seems like that for investors to put their money into land-based salmon farming. Um, so yeah, it's it's gonna. It seems like it's gonna be um, you know a new leg for for land, uh, for salmon farming in general. Yeah, I mean because the the biggest uh, the biggest factor impacting salmon farming right now is restrictions on growth. So right because yeah. you have this in, incredible demand for salmon. But you have really, really limited growth in both uh, both Norway and Chile. Um, so to 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 meet demand, it does seem like we're going to need new regions or we're going to need new technologies. Um, there's a lot of interesting new technologies being developed in in Norway as part of the development licenses, but those have yet to be proven. And the uh, the the capex and and opex on those projects is expected to be really, really high. Um, I, I noticed in in your report you talked about um, you referred to some some uh, some DMB research that's put um, put production costs for a basic sort of mid sized land based facility um, at knock thirty seven per kilogram, and that's um, DNB uh, in their research um, they've put that uh, as a as a viable alternative in terms of uh, production costs to land or to, to net pen farming when you start factoring in license costs and things like that. So um, that's, I think, the big difference is the production costs now are being coming down to that level where it's starting to really make uh, make sense. And, and I, in fact, Grieg uh, in their uh, quarterly earnings not, not too far back was saying that, hey, the costs are so expensive for, for net pen that 
you know, they were kind of throwing their arms up and saying that, you know, licensing costs have just gotten out of control and it's starting to make more sense to do land-based farming. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, you know, um, yeah, cost is obviously um, squeezing <laughs> traditional salmon farmers at the moment. Uh, I mean, you you mentioned, um, um, yeah, you mentioned the DMB report um, and... Um, Pareto put out some similar figures um, also last year, um, and they also showed that you know costs of land-based salmon farming are more or less on par with traditional uh, cage farming. Um, and I mean, what what also plays a big role um, is that in land-based systems, for example, you don't need. Um, um, you know, you don't need medication, you don't need vaccinations, plus you probably can build these farms close to the market, so you're saving money on, on transport costs. That's one of the big benefits of land-based salmon farming, um, I guess. Um, so yeah, it's going to be interesting how that's, that's going to develop in the future. But does anybody, uh, uh, what are the thoughts about <clears throat> scaling up production? Because right now, even the most ambitious production figures you see for not smolts, but for finished salmon uh, land-based operations are are fairly modest compared to, you know, what the uh, ocean pen pens can produce. So is there any sense on what the ultimate scale of this could be? Um, um, do you mean like the, the industry scale or just of, e of individual projects? Yeah, I guess, you know, the industry scale itself, because, you know, I, when we were in New York and, and uh, elsewhere at some conferences, you know, you always hear that this isn't going to rival um, the mm -hmm. ocean pen uh, production at least in the near term, but I'm just wondering if you look down the road quite far, what what the projections are. Yeah, I mean, um, I I put together the the salmon farming or, or land-based salmon farming projects we know about for the report, and um, I mean, roughly by 2025, um, they'll produce around 270,000 tons. Um, if everything goes according to plan. So it's quite a significant number, actually. I mean, um, today's sa salmon produce, uh, production is 2.2 million metric tons, I think. So, um, you know, within seven, seven eight years, there's going to be a big production coming from land-based salmon farms. I mean, to put that into context, that's... Uh... That that's up around the production level of of the Canadian salmon farming industry, yeah. as is. Yeah. So you know that that's no small thing. I guess the the question mark, of course, is whether or not they're going to deliver on that. Um, exactly. Because you know, even though what what we've found just in in people kind of approaching us at our investor forums or just in our reporting is that there is a significant amount of these companies that are. Um, they're they're looking for investment. Uh, they have a lot of ambitions, but what they don't have, and and we've heard this from some of the land-based equipment producers and some of the the 
RAS experts that have been um, around for a long time. What, what most of these projects don't have is the on-the-ground expertise. And without that, you're in big trouble. And I think that's why Atlantic Sapphire is among the leaders and was able to, to list and able to, to get um, that big round of financing from DMB is that they've got people that actually have done this and can do it. So you see a lot of people, I mean, you know, there was a major U.S. salmon farmer at, uh, that was telling us that that he's interested in maybe putting some of his money into it. Um, it's exciting, and there's a lot of, of interest in it uh, among investors, but I just wonder, and Lisi, I'll put this to you, but just in your kind of research and, and you talk to, I would say every major um, producer around the world for your report. So, um, is there a sense? I mean, it, you know, not to <laughs> you don't have to name names, but when you sort of look at a lot of these projects, I mean, what is your sense that that these are going to be commercially viable, or which ones do you kind of, or you know, how many do you feel like? Well, I, I just don't know if this is going to survive without investment and without, you know, additional um, expertise coming on board? Um, well, I mean, in general, I would say that size is everything. Um, and that's just a general opinion. Um, I think a lot of the projects that are targeting smaller volumes, um, let's say, 1,000 tons uh, a year or, or less, um, or maybe even more, um, they, they're going to have um, issues, I guess, um, just, you know, breaking even. Um, because, to be fair, like, the technology still costs a lot of money, so you need to scale up quite significantly straight away um, to make it a viable business. But... Um, there's projects out there that I think they're going to succeed. And you named Atlantic Sapphire. I think they're, you know, they're doing a great job. They, they've, they've built up a lot of expertise. They, they've been running that pilot facility, Langsandlax in Denmark, for, for a while. They've had made major setbacks and so on. So they've, you know, they've been around for, for a while. Um, there's some other companies, I think, in the US, they're going to succeed. They, there's close cooperation with uh, Atlantic Sapphire. I mean, they're trying to get to get experts in, be it RIS experts, be it, be it farming experts, um, some farming experts. So, um, so yeah, I think there, there are quite a few projects out there um, that are going to succeed um on the other hand there's also projects that you know i think are gonna are gonna find it difficult to to prevail in that market um yeah without naming names <laughs> yeah aquaculture, aquaculture has always had that challenge um you know of the high cost of entry you know technology wise mm -hmm. i mean if you think back to the 90s when the uh net pen industry really took off there it was the same challenge for them there was a lot of technology and gear that had to be put in the water and you know etc and you know it took if you figure from the 90s to today it took a took 
took a little while for them to, you know, finally figure it all out and hit their stride like they they are today. So I I can see it taking quite a while myself. But then again, you know, we're in a time of technology and your phone advances every year to some new higher level of technology. So um, maybe we're at a, a, a point where this technology really advances at a, a, a much rapid a much more rapid pace than, than we've seen before. So, and I just want to make one other point. You mentioned, both of you mentioned about um, the workforce itself and the need for people with RAS um, knowledge at all these companies. And when I was at that aquaculture innovation workshop in BC last year in December, I think it was, um, that they spent a lot of time talking about that, that there's just not, there's a shortage of these uh, mm. of people, especially younger people that can come and fill these roles and do them. And, you know, the, the joke was, you know, if your kid is going to college, let um, send them somewhere where he can learn this technology or she can learn this technology. Then they walk out of college with a $250,000 a year job. So <laughs> I don't know if that's true, but it, it's, uh, it demonstrates the point, I think. Yeah. I mean, what I heard from, from uh, my, my um, chats with people within the, the industry, you know, everyone kind of seems to be working together uh, a lot of people or a lot of the bigger projects um they've they they've been cooperating while well, cooperating but they've been um exchanging knowledge um with atlantic sapphire because they obviously i mean everyone tells me they're the pioneers in in the industry so um but yeah i totally agree um you know there needs to be an investment in actually um, building up a workforce and um, yeah, just investment in building up expertise and knowledge and um, how to operate these these systems totally. Hey, Lisi, to what extent, what was uh, one interesting thing in, in your report was you hit on what's happening in, in Asia and um, that is that is very opaque. Of course, it's hard to get information about, um, particularly in China, how many people are doing this. But what was your your take on what's happening in in China with land based salmon farming and and uh, the development there? Is it um, is it moving um, at the same pace? Is there the same interest in investing in it? Um, yeah, definitely. I mean, China, um, as you said, it's difficult to get the information um, on that market on or on the industry there. But I know there's there's at least three projects, smaller scale projects, operational today, and um, a couple um, have been announced. Um, and um, one person I was talking um, to. Um, was um, the owner of Seafood Dragon over Nordland. He's Norwegian, um, and they're planning um, planning a I think nine thousand metric ton salmon farm in China, and um, for them it's a no-brainer to to invest in China because um, yeah, first of all it's a growing market, um, you know. You always hear the same, the same, the same arguments for for um, for um, focusing on the Chinese market, but um, but yeah, I think 
anything that's being grown in in China and sold to Chinese consumers will be a success. I think. So it's the same, Lisi, in uh, in other markets as well. Correct that yeah. uh, when you produce a product uh, domestically, there that's part of the pitch. Is not only are you saving massively on uh, on uh, air freight or other transportation costs, but you're also able to take advantage of um, people's desire to, to to eat food that's local, you know, yeah. and and yeah, exactly. provenance and um, you know people's desire to support their local economy, which is no small thing in an era of, of kind of increasing um, nationalism. <laughs> I guess yeah. that's a flip side. You know. What's the sense of how much community or public um, opposition might follow these places? For example, up in Maine, I, it's hard to gauge whether it's just a small group of people making a lot of noise or whether it's more significant, but the, the places going in there, at least uh, one of them has met with, you know, some kind of raucous public meetings and, you know, growing opposition here and there. So, you know, that's always, at least in the States, that's always an issue. If you try and put something like this in a, in a community, it seems mm. it brings out the, um, you know, not in my backyard, crowd pretty quickly so i don't know i don't know what the sense of that issue is for these companies going forward yeah i'm not sure about it either i mean you know um i mean my view is it's um you know i i as a consumer i obviously prefer um local produce as well and if a salmon is produced locally um i think i would buy it you know i would choose up for that one rather than buying one from from chile now with me being in europe um but um but yeah i can't i don't know i mean i can't imagine that the public would have an issue with with a with a building or facility somewhere because it's just a building or a facility, you know, a plant. It's like a processing plant. So I'm not sure. Would, it, a, would it be an issue? I don't know. It's a good question because um, it's when you drive past, uh, well, any anywhere in rural Europe or rural America, you're going to drive past some cattle feedlots. You're going to exactly. drive past poultry farms, and you're going to be just, you know, inundated with <laughs> with the smell <laughs> Which is an indicator of just what's happening at those at those farms, and yeah. just you know, we we know we know that seafood is a is a more sustainable protein to rear, even on in land-based facilities, especially because of the the uh, recirculation and, and a lot of what they're doing with waste. Um, that said, I I just don't know. Um, you know, I I guess here in the Northwest, uh, for example. Um, things are a little bit different with the obsession with wild salmon, but I would say the first time that people are able to eat a fresh, uh, farmed Atlantic land-based fillet, uh, in the middle of, of winter when you can't get fresh wild salmon and they try that next to a frozen refresh, uh, wild salmon fillet, I, I would say their, their minds might turn a bit <laughs> when they when they experience the the quality difference um 
but I don't know. I, I don't. I, that'll be an interesting question, but um, it certainly hasn't stopped conventional farm salmon from its growth. So, yeah. um, to me, this is is just one more uh, great opportunity for farm salmon to grow and expand markets. Mm. And if they can make it work, um, we are talking about a very significant shift in uh in salmon farming production if they're able to reach that those levels that, that you were talking about uh Lisi, of you know yeah. 150 200,000 metric tons by you know up by 20 2025 um yeah 270,000 tons <laughs> 270 yeah yeah um, yeah. 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 yeah yeah totally i mean uh, but yeah, yeah. if we just talk about general consumer trends um you know, I think a uh, uh, farm salmon that's produced in your backyard or, you know, in the U.S. somewhere, um, I, I think that's, that's going to go down well with consumers because, you know, there's a trend for provenance, you know, there's a trend for, for regional food, you know, consumers are becoming more aware of, you know, uh, the impact of transport on, on global warming and so on. So, yeah. Let's see. Um, um, yeah, it, I, I, it's, it will be interesting to see how things are developing once, once the first meaningful, meaningful volumes actually hit the, hit the market. But, um, but yeah, I'm, I'm quite optimistic for, for this industry. Well, fantastic job on the report, Lisi. I think we'll leave it there. Um, brief plug for the report you can drop us a line editorial at intrafish.com if you want to see some uh sample pages of the work lisa did it's a fantastic report um and of course we were covering this topic a lot because it, it really is hot so you can uh you can find more on intrafish.com as well and uh, as a reminder you can uh sign up for our newsletters and uh get daily coverage of the seafood industry and you can find us on twitter LinkedIn, Facebook, all those kinds of places. Uh, thanks all for tuning in, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye. Bye.